0: Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. The one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. All right, well, welcome back to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. If you hear that little noise in the background, that's right, we are still here at the BDMB MX. B2B Marketing Exchange in Scottsdale, Arizona. Event is tremendous. They've got about 1,100 people here, and we're on a little bit of break uh, in between the sessions. There's uh, We're sitting right here in the expo area, or what they call the marketplace, and sitting right next to me is Jocelyn King. Jocelyn, so great to see you. Oh, it's great to see you, Dave. If you don't know Jocelyn, I would say if you're sitting at your desk and you're listening to this, go to LinkedIn and connect with Jocelyn. She is a wonderful person. We've known each other for, I think, about a decade now. At least. And what we're gonna talk about today, um, we'll talk a little bit about what she's doing with the Mocha organization, but as you're gonna hear, get ready for this, Jocelyn's a bit of an overachiever. She's had a tremendous career and she isn't (laughs) slowing down. She's taking more and more responsibility on. So I want to dig into that. She's just about to start a new role at a new company, but she's also been filling in as acting CMO for a number of different companies. But you've worked at some big, big companies too. So I want to talk about the transitions there. First, catch me up on on MoCA. And for those that don't know MoCA, maybe you could share about the organization and, and what's happening there.
1: Terrific, thank you. So MOCA stands for the Marketing Operations Cross-Company Alliance, and it's actually the only professional association dedicated to operational excellence in marketing. So our charter is to enable the operations and infrastructure and data science side of marketing that enables the art of marketing. So we have 7,500 members and we're at joinmoca.com. We are a nonprofit and our sole charter is to facilitate networking among peer groups of like-minded marketers, as well as to provide best practices and thought leadership, sharing through webinars, in-person events, and and other things. We have a new website uh, launching shortly. So if you sign up, you'll get um, invitations to anything that you'd like.
0: At joinmocha.com. I've been a big fan uh, of Mocha for a while. I when. Um, Any time you guys have reached out in the past to help sponsor a Christmas party or contribute some funds to the organization, we have done so. Uh, it w- you guys were really ahead of your time in terms of identifying that marketing operations was going to be a function and a discipline, and to build a community together. And I, when did the organization start? It was a so. It's
1: about 15 years old. It was founded by Larissa De Carlo, yeah. who's a rock star in the space. And it, when, once the, the term was coined, um, and there was. A desire to build that into a profession with best practices, the alliance came together, and that's even though we act as an association with seventy-five hundred members, it started as an alliance of just one to two dozen companies, you know, like HP, Adobe, Autodesk, Cisco, that were all coining the term marketing operations to bring the science of marketing into marketing departments, which at that time were viewed much more as creative, oh, on yeah. the creative side of the house, right. So um, it was it was founded, it started as an alliance to help build out those best practices and do sharing. And of course, that was at the time when Salesforce was driving in to all the organizations yeah. and Eloqua and Marketo are arriving on the scene and marketing is saying, we have to project manage this. We can't just be looking at hooking our website and our marcom and event uh, activities into uh, some IT systems and doing that. So it really was the dawn of that. Um, I joined Moca about ten years ago as, a, as just an attendee, and then Larissa asked me to join the board uh, six years ago, which I did. And then when she stepped down as president, um, she asked me to take over. And what I started doing with the with the board was realizing that marketing operations it, it's an it's changed as a term. So uh, even even the East Coast and West Coast, and even industry to industry, some people. Really? Some people use marketing op- operations to mean the chief of staff, the strategic planning. it's the right hand of the CMO and the organization and, and the person and group that keeps everything operating, keeps the trains on time, is uh, clear on the KPIs is re- do- is ensuring the reporting out of the results of marketing and how and the alignment the SLAs with sales with partners, you know the alignment with finance, all of that is critical. So some companies and some industries use the term marketing operations for that. In other areas, you'll find that marketing operations, some people use it interchangeably with marketing automation. Like right? So the person who's responsible for the eloquo or Marketo or HubSpot or other instance in an organization. Yeah. Um, so there, And then there are a lot of people who have the term demand gen um, and, uh, and are overseeing the infrastructure uh, and the planning and the campaign planning and the persona targeting and the you know, and and content marketing strategies and all that together. So out of our 7,500 members, about 40% of them identify as marketing operations. About another 35 to 40 identify as demand gen. And then the rest are, you know, we have some BI, some data science, data analyst people, chiefs of staff, and about um, over 25% of our membership is director and above. So we also do some invitation, um, executive forum Mm -hmm. events as well.
0: Lister, Larissa was way ahead of her time, no Absolutely. doubt. Yes. Um, she really is the first person to me that introduced that phrase mm-hmm. uh, and you know went on to start her consulting practice and helping in marketing operations. Uh, it's great that she has turned over the helm to you and the uh, organization continues to thrive. I had no idea, candidly, it was 7,500 members. That's incredible. Because my exposure has always been, at a regional event, at a local event, you know, typically in in Silicon Valley. So join Mm Mocha.com and really, you know, for anyone in the marketing operations field or even just, you know, um, looking to get into it, probably should check uh, right. The organization out and so
1: and, and also keep tune on things because there's a lot of uh, we have people from the Pacific Northwest and San Diego and Atlanta and other parts of the country who've been wanting to hold MoCA events we don't quite have that franchise thing worked out right now we're active in the San Francisco Bay Area New York City Washington D.C. and Boston mm-hmm. and we're looking to grow we're an all volunteer organization everybody's doing this for the betterment of the marketing profession yeah. and operations operational excellence within marketing um, but we are looking to expand, so if you you know we'll we'll see how that goes. And we've we've just brought on some new operations board members and advisory board members to help fuel our growth. Nice. And we've got wonderful sponsors. So you
0: guys you guys do. And so if anybody's out there and, and if you're a martech company a sales tech company, let's help these guys out and continue to build the community that they that they have. And uh, strongly encourage you to do that. It's been wonderful for Demand Gen to be involved. Uh, and, and just have met so many people that are either. Early on in their marketing operations career, and and thirsty for information and knowledge, and and sharing, and others that are are givers that are mm-hmm. you know showing up to the meetings and and uh, helping everyone else. Or do you guys have uh, an online uh, community as well, if you will, where there's information sharing? Or is it mostly uh, in-person events? Well, we
1: have a plan for that, and uh, part of it is we're drinking our own champagne right now, um, looking bringing in some new platforms. So we're launching our new website we're um, implementing our own marketing automation platform because we've been on kind of the old email you know, platform model. Yeah. Um, even though you know, our, our board is made up of VPs and CMOs and heads of marketing operations who, you know, we, we have expertise in every marketing automation platform out there in our professional lives, but we haven't been using those tools within the organization and that's what we're changing. So we've got got a great roadmap ahead and our uh, joint board meeting is coming up. So we'll be be building out more things. One of them will be of interest um, to you and others, and that is we're looking at um, how we can offer not only the webinars and uh, sharing of content that's out there, but we're looking at how we can do some certification around true marketing operations and even taking it a step further and having some additional you know, sales operations integration classes, it could be a revenue operation. So, um, at the event here, we actually are doing a, a Mocha workshop and that's being taught by Carrie Baldwin from GreenFay, yeah. from their curriculum, which if people aren't familiar with it, is, you know, accredited university faculty-based courses and accreditation. So, we're exploring accreditation through a couple of different sources, and we're looking to be able to start some offerings, you know, maybe next year.
0: Yeah, My company, DemandGen, has been involved with Carrie and working with GreenFig. Tom Speck on our team, who leads our mm-hmm. technology practice. He's developed a number of courses and done trainings for that group. Right. So
1: and I really want to thank Andrew Gaffney and the whole B2B MX team because they're um, they're really show, giving MoCA opportunity here and giving us the opportunity for that work group yeah. and uh, and helping Carrie. and they're, they're a great uh, advocate for MoCA as well. They
0: are. Um, before we talk about Jocelyn's, uh, some of the, her recent career activities, um, I do want to say again, as you guys can hear at the conference, you know, I said, on, I think at least in on one or two of the episodes, get out of your office and go to a conference. And if you missed B2BMX this year, put it on your calendar for next year. And I can tell you, they are going to keep it an intimate event. There is no plan to make this a two or 3,000 person event. They're going to stick around 1,100, 1,200 people, plus or minus, and leave it intimate so that we can have really great conversations with one another. Because, you know, the events get too big, it just becomes a circus.
1: I think people are going to start hawking some tickets on StubHub because I uh, I had some friends who wanted to come last week, and they're saying, can you get me a ticket? And they're like, they're sold out, they've been sold out, and... uh, but what's also great about it at this venue, it's actually bigger than uh, when it was at the other venue last year, yep. but because there's more breakouts, it actually feels more intimate. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's, it, while it's bigger, it actually, you have the opportunity to really get yeah. to network with people and have meaningful conversations. Everybody I've spoken to has just said how much they're getting out of this. Yeah, it's
0: good, good, good show. Um, so you've got uh, you've been acting CMO for a number of different uh, startups, but you're, earlier in your career, you were at the big boys, the big, and I don't mean that by gender. I mean the big companies, the the Fortune fifties, the Fortune one hundred, the Intels, National Semiconductors. What was it like to be a marketing leader in those organizations compared to the roles you're now doing in more of the startup area?
1: So let me start by saying my first decade was in startups and and exits and growth. So I was in that hyper growth mode and mm-hmm. being at small companies where. You know, I started and it was me and one other person doing all the marketing and I got to grow the team and all of that. And then we, you know, we'd sell and I was on to the next thing. So my first decade was in startups.
0: Okay. So this is not a new rodeo for you.
1: It's not a new rodeo, but it's a, it's a refresh. I'm hitting a refresh on it. And then I went into the mid market, you know, the fortune 500, fortune 1000, that was national semiconductor and some other companies and, you know, growing through that where I had like, you know. I was leading global marketing at Altera, which was um, an 85 person global marketing organization. And we were acquired by Intel, which was actually a great experience because i worked on M&A, you know, from being acquired at the smaller companies. And then um, even at Altera and National, we did acquisitions ourselves, so Mm -hmm. I got to work on it. But uh, getting to work with the people at Intel uh, around best practices of how to do M and A was really uh, a great experience. I was part of the initial stealth team, so getting to you know do the whole planning and um, stealth mode review, and particularly planning around the communications because I needed to be responsible for the communications with all of our stakeholders. So that was the you know the customers and the partners, the employees. And our investors, working with our head of investor relations on everything we were going to put out, and of course timing it all for the the hour of the announcement, you know, let alone the day and week. So that was great. But then coming into Intel, we finished the integration, and then I moved over to the CMO's corporate office to build out the global demand center, and Mm -hmm. it was called the B2B marketing, uh, B2B go-to-market, and global demand center because Intel. Which is an incredible marketing organization, you know, obviously with the Intel Inside type of programs yeah. and at, you know Lady Gaga at the Super Bowl and all of the drones at the Olympics and everything, but that is all very brand B 2 C focused, and so it was very much um, kind of what I call the ABC marketing of you know adver- advertising and and uh, broadcast and consumer, and so needed to build out how to really engage, and even though Intel has been selling. You know, uh, chips four engineers, two engineers for a long time. Yeah. It was much. It was done much more through a sales motion mm-hmm. than uh marketing motion, or the marketing was done within each individual business unit. So it wasn't centralized, and so we were building out the model for that. And we were doing all that as we were counting down the clock to GDPR. So a big thing that my team had to do, and they just knocked it out of the park. So kudos to everybody and the team there. Was we solved GDPR, and the reason that's and what, what I mean by solved for that was as the clock was ticking companies the size of Intel have multiple databases and when you have multiple acquisitions you have your, for instance you have your marketing automation platform of record and then you have every other one that exists because you've acquired a company that has it and we all know you don't just flip a switch and, you know, when you bring a company in and, and convert everything over and their, their design flows and their content and their websites and everything so we had to if if you unsubscribe, um, we have to take you out in right. 48 hours of every database and everything. So it's solving for that and making sure the company uh, was protected, you know, from risk and doing best practice. Intel's a we want to do everything. We want to be number one right. in something we're doing. So we yeah, want to no do no. it right. So we were committed to that, and that was and that was great. And a lot of the the global demand center model for for Intel and a company like that often is really about uh, looking at the SLAs with partners because if most of the selling happens through partners then you the SLAs become more important than the internal email campaigns mm-hmm. and things like that. So those are an additive but it's much more about where is the real lift going to be where is the spend going to be and the investment and, um, and so, I left, so I was doing all that. And then I left Intel because I wanted to get back to startups. I wanted to get back and give back to startups.
0: Why did you want to get back to startups?
1: I missed the scrappiness. And I missed, I missed the scrappiness of the startups. I also missed the span of control. So you know, I mentor a number of up-and-coming men and women who are growing their careers. And they say, well, you know, should I go to an Intel or a, you know, or or an SAP, or a, or a name name the Fortune 100, yeah. or mid market. And I said, you know, it's really a personal decision. Um, for me, though, I carried a bag early mm. in my career, and then went into marketing, and I love talking to customers and working with customers. And I found it much more challenging. So at, within the global demand center at Intel, we had 2,000 internal stakeholders. So when I'm on the road going around the world, it's to align with the regional teams and the sales teams, and, and I. I really wasn't uh, engaging with customers very much, and I owned a very—you um, know—you end up being a mile deep, you know, and, and and a foot wide. Yeah. And I, I've worked every part of marketing in my career. I mean, I've led PR and written press releases. I've, I've, I've did met you know, I, I would build out you know the meta structures for website organizations. I was building databases and doing data analysis, I've done Marcom, I've done events, you know, collateral, I, you know, I, there's no part that I haven't had been hands-on in at some point. So I like to bring that all together. And also my personality is one that I like having, you know, if I have 10 meetings on my calendar that day and they're all about different topics and some are deep dive data yeah. and others are creative brainstorming, I personally You're like that. 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 Yeah, that I'm passionate about that. Yeah. It energizes me. For other people, that is describing life in hell for them. And I understand that. So I think a lot of it is understanding what makes you really happy in what you're doing with your career and identify that. And I wanted more span of control and more focus on uh, business strategy as well and go to market. So I started working with startups, even at the funding level, like looking at their go to market strategy and their TAM sizing, their total available market for going after BC funding when they're going from... C to series A or series A to series B. Yeah. And I just love being back in that. And I love working with founders.
0: Yeah. Well, it's, um, when you work in a big company, oftentimes it's hard to make the, the change back. Uh, what, what really cl- comes out, uh, as I've gotten to know you and what I think people are hearing is you like to get your hands dirty and you like to have, um, a lot of variety in the roles and responsibilities, a lot of expertise and knowledge, which really prepares you well to be a CMO, because today's CMO can't just be a specialist in brand or in the art of marketing, but it has to be multidisciplinary and you having all of that different expertise. Kyle, who's going to be on your panel later today, you know, was saying that event marketing is not his thing. They're hiring an event marketing person, but he would never want to deal with that because of all the logistics and mm-hmm. the details and timetables that it's involved in. It's good to know... Your strengths and your weaknesses, but it's also good, more important to know what you said, which is what gives you energy, right? When your right. day has 10 activities or 10 different meetings on it, and all of those you're looking forward to and thriving, uh, it certainly is is a thing. Today's a good example for me. I'll, I'll, today we'll have 10 you know, different, uh, interviews here on the podcast. And I look forward to it. (laughs) Every one of these conversations Mm -hmm. that we bring to everyone else is just a, a time for, uh, for me to learn and hear what people are going through and and the changes. Question though, about going back to a small company in Mm -hmm. a large company, got a lot of resources. You've got a lot of, uh, of teams. Uh, you've got a lot of different people, different In in the startups, and certainly smaller organizations, you've got to get your hands dirty again. You have less resources. Do you have a particular preference? Because you've now, as you said, you've done both, and you're going back to more of the startup world. Is there a preference, or are you comfortable in both situations?
1: You know, Anytime you're in anything, you get kind of saturated with what the headaches are of that particular, mm-hmm. whether it's the size of the company or the industry you're in or something. You know, you keep you, you come up against the same wall a few mm-hmm. times, and you get tired of that problem. And then I, I love to jo- you know then have the opposite problem all of a sudden. And what I love about this, you know, there's <laughs> one of my favorite uh, marketing jokes is you know a CFO goes to the, the CMO and says, you know, hey. God created the earth in six days. Why can't your marketing department build, you know, a, a website and a digital pipe <laughs> in six months? And she looks at him and says, because, you know, because you uh, didn't have, um, uh, you know, aging infrastructure. Yeah. <laughs> or or committees. Exactly, or committees. <laughs> and I was just thinking, you know, it's it's what I love about the startup um, is I'm establishing I get to choose what the Martech stack is, yeah. and I'm I'm loving that because I yeah, get I've to build spent, everything from yeah, scratch. Yeah, because at the larger companies, you're bringing in new things, but you're also dealing, yeah. you know, with the legacy systems. Yeah. So um, it's the legacy systems that are headache. So, and then whatever you're building, you're going to live with. Now, what I find interesting, and and maybe this goes back more because it's relevant to my my Mocha role, but I need to stay aware of. Everything on Mocha. So, for instance, Scott Brinker is on our advisory board. And I literally, every year, I print out his large Martech, you know, 5,000 now, 8,000 plus or, yeah. Um on a large poster sheet. And I put it on my wall so I can be looking at all the different logos of what's in there. And when I'm at large companies, I'm not paying attention to the smaller ones as much, though I'd like to learn them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What's really fascinating to me, though, from a purely academic perspective, is that the strategy is the same. I mean, the nuance of the plan, right? Obviously, if you're at a, at a Fortune 100, the t- you know, going to market with partners yeah. is different than yeah. the way you're going to market in a Series A startup sure. and establishing partners. But it's still about getting the attention. It's, it's still about knowing your, you know, knowing your customer, who yeah. is your customer, yeah. what keeps him or her up at night. You know, so it's back to your personas. Yeah, It's back to knowing your differentiation. And what I love about these extremes, because they literally are extremes. I mean, there are fewer people at the startup I'm at than I had on my, on my U.S. team alone. Okay. So, <laughs> slightly different scale.
0: Amazing. But you, the you strategy is the same. You you're, you're bring strange. up, that is a key point, Jocelyn, is that, you know, whether you're marketing in a very large company or in a startup.
1: Best practices are best practices. They
0: really are. Yeah. And it's just, so the it's chain, the scale. Sure.
1: Uh, the flows change, and you know what I like to compare it to. It's it, one is two-person beach volleyball, and the other is six-person indoor there you volleyball. Go. Yeah, and I played volleyball, so I appreciate it. And and when and but you're you know so in two-person volleyball, you can be much more agile, you know, and you don't have to wonder if somebody's setting who's going to spike. It's really clear, right? I um, you got to be scrappy. You're calling out. And that's literally like calling out in the office or the texting or yeah. the Slack that goes on. Um, so you're very agile. And in the sixth person, not only do you have the six, but then you've got alternates and you've got a coach. And if you drop the ball, who is responsible? Was it, un, you know, was it, uh, you know, unplayable? Or did somebody do an error with somebody in the wrong spot? Like, mm-hmm. w- you know, what's the learning from it? So it becomes more complex. But at the end of the day, it's volleyball. You're you're, you're trying to get the ball over the net and right. win the game. Right. So it's the same thing. And and um, I think because I'm just I'm, as I said, I carried a bag and then I went into marketing. So I'm I'm a marketer who's always wh- where I pound the table is around things that are really going to make a difference to the customer or not. Like you know, you have to fight your battles. Yeah. My the battles that I fight are always around the customer experience. Mm-hmm. You know that we're getting too insular internally, folks. You know we're. We're making decisions because they're operationally efficient to us, not because they're going to be better for the customer. In fact, we're doing something that's going to be more cost efficient to us, but we're probably going to lose some market share or we're going to get a higher rate of churn on our retention. And I think marketing, even more than sales, plays that role because marketing is the aggregate of all the customers. Right. And so the fact that those are the same um, are what drive me as a marketer, whether I'm at a Fortune 50, or a mid-market, mm-hmm. or a Series A startup.
0: When it comes to staffing and growing the organization in a startup, uh, where do you start? You know, is, is, there a, is there a playbook that is agnostic to any company, or does the initial hires and building out the team change or vary uh, company to company?
1: So I'm getting two headcount in my new company. And a whopping two. A whopping two. Which is more than, which is, because right now, starting Thursday, I'll, I'll be an army of one. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, it, marketers and, love uh, metrics, and so that's exactly. 300% growth. I, I think, know, look map. at that, isn't that Phenomenal. great? Phenomenal. My department's gone 300% <laughs> since I've been there.
1: Just in one quarter. Amazing. <laughs> but what I'm looking at is um, because we're going to be using contractors and some agencies, and um, you know, I'm going to be looking at, like, not necessarily, we, there's some MarTech stack in the company already, so I'll be using that. But I'm going to be leaning into some agencies and contractors. So what I really need is I need a demand gen expert to engage because we're going to be doing ABM. This is, a, um, this, this is uh, very much going to be an ABM focus. Okay. Um, and, but then we, we need that, that uh, program manager, marketing ops type of person who understands marketing but can schedule everything, keep everything going. Uh, because obviously we don't need a full-time event person, though we'll be doing some events. So we're going to have to contract some of that out. So making sure that there's somebody, you know, making sure that the the trains are ready to go, the tracks are laid, and and keep the trains on time is a big part of it. Mm -hmm. Now, what I find, though, from that kind of program management, it's the classic marketing operations. Um, You have to understand marketing. So uh, there's there's dyed-in-the-wool marketing operations people who are purely about you know the infrastructure and the processes, and there's others who are marketers, and I find them more in the demand gen title. So they're operationally excellent focus, but they are more about how do you engage persona. I would say one is you know the marketing ops uh, program management role is more of a you know inform and manage and schedule, and the demand gen person really has to be focused on the influence right. too, right? Yes. So you have to have that nuance and. You know and looking at the language you're, you're dabbling in the art as well right yeah. so um, but then you're measuring it and everything so I need to have a demand gen and um, a marketing operations program manager and then the rest will be coming will be the scalable variable right. depending on um, what we're doing when
0: and you typically prioritize hiring people who can lead the strategy um, not the tacticians that's why you bring in the agencies to provide you both you can you can get scale with the agencies but you can also get expertise that you don't have in internally right the um, the and and that's i think it's important for people that to, to hear that even if you're a small company mm-hmm. grow you know do it do it quickly you you, you don't have a luxury of time you got to right. scale One of the companies that you share with me that that you're joining as CMO, it sounds like a great unicorn opportunity. Big, big problem to solve for a lot of great companies. Mm -hmm. Um, You're not going to have the luxury of having a year to get your team together and start to get some programs off the ground and that. You've got to hit the ground running soon. How do you do that? Hire some good internal core people, your initial leaders and and people that can help um, get it done and do it right, but then extend out to either contractors, so if you're not doing a lot of events, get someone who can contract and do that. it's the same thing that demand does we do tons of events every year and while our marketing team supports every one of those events we do work with an outside event contractor right. who can handle a lot of the, the heavy lifting stuff that's just really time consuming Which but not strategic
1: total, and it makes total sense too because it's not your core competency nor, nor are you trying to right. make it that. Yeah. so you're embodying a best practice yeah. of know your core competency focus yeah. all your resources on yeah. that and then you know contract out or keep the rest otherwise yeah. also because marketing gets overloaded, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, marketing... Op- in MoCA, we often say that the problem with marketing operations not having one definition is yeah. that it becomes the land of misfit toys. Yeah. And if anything that is... Sales is really clear. Things are either in sales or not. Finance is really clear. HR is really clear. Yeah. Um, you get into parts of the organization where they're like, we'll give it to marketing. Yeah. and I- Because somehow it has to do with words and pictures or processes or customers. And it ends up you know, being dumped into the laps of poor marketing folks and, um, you know, when I when I was at uh, several companies, I used, I, I've often done these trainings with my team of, it, it comes from my sales training, but it's how to, how to say no. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, because you end up, there's people who are good at saying no, but they then they start giving the impression that marketing is the land of no. Yes. And then you have people who want to be really helpful on your team and they say yes to everything and mm-hmm. then you end up not delivering, so you end up you know, being very friendly and personable and helpful but not right. efficient and taking on too much. And so I often coach my teams on we have to we have to do a yes, no, yes. It's like, yes, that's a great idea, I hear that. Um, no, I can't personally take that on, but yes I can help you know how to get that into the queue so it can be evaluated. Yeah. And then we have a prioritization process that also goes out to the rest of the organization. So if that's the technical, you know, if that's the R and it, it, it's different in different organizations. Some it's the product marketing or technical marketing, the business units. You get alignment so that everybody, it, it it has to be the entire organization helping to vote or at least take ownership of what you're going to do and not do. So it's not just that marketing isn't helping. Yes. And and then when you communicate out, as as marketers, one of our biggest... Jobs and responsibilities is to communicate internally right. as well, and we're so busy communicating. I don't think externally. marketing
0: does a good job of that, in my experience. You know, maybe you've been in environments where it's done well, maybe under your leadership they've done it well, but it's not a matter of being humble. I think marketing often is so external, externally focused they don't know how to communicate and celebrate their accomplishments and wins and also what's coming up. It's so, so outward. And I think it does marketing a disservice because the organization feels like they don't really know the marketing program calendar, the impact that those programs are having. So have you experienced something differently in, in environments there? Because I see that all too often. Like there's just, it, it's a mystery what's happening in marketing. They know they're all really busy and getting a lot done, but what is it? Right. And, and you know, an event like this, when you see a booth where you see collateral out, and there actually is some along with a lot of swag here, uh, that makes marketing tangible, but they don't see necessarily the day-to-day content and creative work and campaign work, and certainly the innards of the marketing operations factory or demand factory, if you will.
1: Right. Well, I've seen I've seen it all on the spectrum, to be honest, and I've seen some great examples of that. And I think you know the companies that are doing it well, where marketing is really effective, like what are the best practices yeah. that marketers should we should all be aspiring to, and that you know i'm I've got to make sure I'm setting up going into my new company as well, is having a regular cadence of communication about what you're doing. I think what happens with a lot of marketers, so first of all, we speak our own language within marketing, and we forget to translate before we go out. And I remember sitting down, um, I actually had a little cheat sheet um, of words that engineering uses and means one thing by them or finance uses and means yeah. something by them. Yeah. And then marketing uses the same term and means something else. Mm-hmm. So that's a credibility, uh, you know, uh, point loss every yeah. time you do that, 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 you're not, uh, that you're not translating. Because you have to know the core competency of your company to have in inside, and you have to know marketing really well, and you have to be able to communicate in the core dominant language of the company. So for instance, um, I've worked in engineering companies, electrical engineering companies, and we just, uh, what has been successful is modeling all of our marketing process flows, and even our language about change management practices, we use whatever the language is of R&D, that's what we adopt, and we all start using it. And when you do that, it's a forcing function that no matter who you're talking to, the organization, you're already using the right language, so you don't have to worry. Because we've all heard that where you're having a conversation with somebody and they use an acronym you don't know,
0: right? Sure.
1: But um, you can't afford to do that and lose right. the team. So what I find with a lot of reporting out of what marketing's doing is it's in marketing language. It hasn't it hasn't been translated into the language of of who you're sharing it with, and what are we supposed to be good at in marketing, knowing the customer. And we forget about our internal customer and, and translating that over. So the company, the organizations that I see do it really well aren't just sending a large PDF over or a PowerPoint with a lot of graphics, If here's examples of everything we did. There um, I think always you have to lead with here are here are the goals of the organization, the company, or here are the goals of you, Mr., Ms., business unit or person. So whoever you're meeting with, yeah. you need to put their goals first and then yours second showing how it's supporting it. And I think that's critical Great advice. because then you catch their attention. Yes. And then when you tell them and this is what we've done, now yes. you're telling them this is what we've done for you. Right. And you're also showing them what you've done for others so mm-hmm. they understand why you're busier and aren't just doing everything for their team. Right. Um, and then literally, you know, everything we do, even if we're showing it in data, we, our output of our results is always graphical. And let's take advantage of the fact that even the exciting things we're doing online and yes. web, we, we are the, com- the, we are the um, organization that gets to use all the color That's and fun right. photos and everything. And we can also take pictures of not just what we're doing, right. but of customers interacting with it yeah. and of salespeople using it. So the more that you're showing it in use, yeah. And the so you're showing the impact mm-hmm. of your materials on them, not just the materials?
0: I had the chance, Jocelyn, to go to the um, Adobe's Worldwide Sales Conference. They invited uh, a select set of us to basically be part of their Worldwide Sales Conference. Awesome. And one of the things that I noticed immediately I mean this is Adobe they Mm -hmm. make the most powerful creative tools Uh, they use their tools Mm -hmm. for exactly what you did all of their um, PowerPoint slides were so meticulously created to communicate a point or message result impact and they were a joy, a, like it was actually pleasurable to look at the visuals. There was no eye chart, there was no eyesore, any of that. There was no apologies for the information on the screen. It was crisp, it was clear. And the and you know there was thousands and thousands of salespeople in the room. When you're really firing up an army like that and you're telling them what hill that you're gonna go, you know, conquer they they needed these metrics presented in a way that was really digestible that you make a tremendous point Joe Payne talked about it on a podcast episode I did as well is that you know as a CEO he's seen marketing um, cuz you know he's CMO turned CEO right. Right. he has seen marketing often too much too often talk about how they're doing or what they're doing where other departments talk about the impact that it has on the business. Exactly. He was, was, uh, not to replay the podcast, but he was talking about like, you know, finance doesn't say, so in accounts receivables, we send out invoices and then we track, (laughs) you know, it's like, our AR is this, right, right. and this is what and it And here's means. a
1: thumbnail of what it looks like. Yeah, here. exactly.
0: <laughs> well, so good to see you. Um, Me too. I, I get the very special pleasure of not just uh, wrapping up this podcast with you now, but I get to spend the rest of the day with you. I look forward to your panel later. Thank and you. Congratulations on the new roles.
1: Thank you so much. Uh, I'm
0: a little, candidly, I'm a little worried about how busy you are, because um, you are you you only know one speed, and that's go, and you've got a lot going on, which is great, I know, for your persona. But, um just make sure you keep everything. No, i dialing
1: back. One thing I do, and uh, my oper- my operational excellence is when I take a long weekend or I take a vacation, I plan the next one, and everything on my calendar is gospel. So I calendar in my downtime nice. days. I calendar wow. in my spa day with the with the girlfriends. I calendar in my downtime weekend with my husband, where I'm not answering email. So, uh, so we're balancing it all out. And so. you're taking
0: care of your body too. You're drinking wild tonic. Kombucha. I, kombucha, kombucha. kombucha. Never, I love this stuff. It looks like a bottle of gin, but <laughs> unless you've actually replaced it,
1: well, it's a beautiful cobalt blue bottle, and I buy these at home. They have them here. I was so impressed. Wow. I You know what I do? I I um I try to keep my um, alcohol or wine to four glasses a week, but I love the celebration of a wine glass. So I buy these really beautiful kombuchas and flavored sparkly waters, and. I get home and I pour it in my wine glass and I relax and then I'm all set and I and then I when I enjoy my when I enjoy my beautiful pinot noirs or, or cabernets I'm doing it with uh, when I can really relax and enjoy it with uh, nice. with people around the table or a great dinner and uh, and I feel healthier. Awesome. So.
0: Well, this episode is not sponsored by Wild Tonic, but (laughs) Jocelyn enjoys them. I look forward to having a glass of wine with you tonight. Awesome. We'll celebrate these new successes. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, We'll catch you on the next episode. You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world to teach you the methods and technologies for high performance marketing.